Welcome to Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. In February, Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro announced that he would continue the moratorium on executions started by his predecessor, Tom Wolf. Shapiro also went a step further than Wolf, calling on the legislature to repeal the death penalty in its entirety. Mark Bookman is the executive director of the Atlantic Center for Capital Representation, a former attorney in the homicide unit of the Defender Association of Philadelphia, and the author of A Descending Spiral, Exposing the Death Penalty in 12 Essays. In this conversation, Mark explains just how dysfunctional capital punishment is in Pennsylvania and why, despite two decades since the last execution, the death penalty is very real in the Commonwealth. This conversation was recorded on May 16th. Well, Mark Bookman, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's really great to talk with you. We've worked together for years and great to have you here. Thank you for asking me, Andy. So, Book, first of all, tell me about the Atlantic Center. What does your organization do? So the Atlantic Center, uh, we formed it We formed it 13 years ago. Our, our, our slogan then and now is trying to put ourselves out of business since 2010. Um, we are uh, kind of an all-purpose uh, um, agency, small nonprofit, independent, uh, uh, trying to help anyone facing the death penalty. And, and that normally would be uh, a, a pretrial, but uh, sometimes direct appeals, sometimes post-conviction, um, and just really, really trying to offer whatever services we can. A lot of consultation, a lot of trainings of lawyers, but also some direct representation and some systemic representation. So a little bit of everything. Yeah, the full title is Atlantic Center for Capital Representation. I know you you work a lot with uh, with defense attorneys and, and trying to uh, train folks in proper practices. It has been 24 years since there was an execution in Pennsylvania. And the thing that I've noticed is that that leads people to mis- believe mistakenly that the death penalty doesn't exist here. It just doesn't quite, you know, I'm in a lot of criminal justice circles, criminal legal reform circles, and the death penalty just is down the list. Um, can you explain why the view that there really isn't a death penalty in Pennsylvania is wrong? Capital punishment is very much alive and unwell in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, you know, we don't have to look far to figure out what's wrong with the with the kind of the the hypothesis that the death penalty is not real in Pennsylvania. All we have to do is look to the federal system. So, you know, the feds had not executed anyone in 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 I guess it was 15 years, it might have been more than that, 17 or 18 years. And then Donald Trump comes along and uh executes 13 people in 7 months, including a number of people after he had lost an election. Um, but before he was removed from office. And and so Pennsylvania, we may seem like we don't have a death penalty. Actually, I think the, the last count we had was 56 pretrial capital cases. That's 56 uh-huh. cases where the prosecutor has notified the defense formally that they're seeking the death penalty. So, it, you know, you may think to yourself, well, we've had a moratorium. We, we you know, uh, we haven't had any executions. The only executions we had were were involuntary executions. Um, but prosecutors continue to seek the death penalty on a very, very regular basis, more than almost any other state. So it's it's real. 
I never would have guessed that number. I mean, I, I've looked at the year to year death sentence number, and that tends to be fairly low. It tends to be in like the four to six range, but 56 pretrial cases right now, that's that's wild. Yeah, it's that our numbers yearly are even lower than that. But I don't I, I, I attribute and there's a lot of reasons for that. I think, first of all, jurors and, and the community is kind of wising up to the death penalty. And I'm sure we're going to get a chance to talk about that. Um, and I think our I think legal teams have gotten better at at, at ways to avoid the death penalty. It just we sh legal teams shouldn't have to do that. Um, the death penalty should not be used uh, as a tool by the prosecution. Uh, even if you believed in the death penalty, it should only be for the select few of the really worst kinds of cases. Obviously, 56 is a number that does not reflect the, the true worst of the worst uh, uh, cases in Pennsylvania. Well, you say that using it as a tool for the prosecution, that actually was going through my head that, I mean, do you think that it's really... In some, in some cases, maybe a lot of cases, the DAs are using it as a bargaining chip to get someone to plea. So I did uh, I did a, a public affairs uh, a presentation for a, for a station in Lancaster County. I should remember which one, but I don't. And uh, they they so I did my segment live, but they had two videotaped segments by two senators in Pennsylvania. One of them. Uh, started off the program by saying, if we didn't have a death penalty, we would never get we would never get pleas. That's totally unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And and uh, but, it you know, it's it's one of those kind of rare moments where, you know, a politician actually says what's on his or her mind and what's on his mind was an unconstitutional use of the death penalty. Well, and that's parallel to something we've talked about in our other criminal legal reform work at the ACLU, which is in, in non-homicide cases, other types of cases where charges get stacked and stacked and people end up pleading out because if they, they risk going to trial. But then, like you said, it's unconstitutional. It's um, I mean, that I don't know if that practice could actually be called unconstitutional, but in practice, the person is giving up their right to a uh, trial by jury because the DA just puts on three, four, five charges, and it puts the person in a position like, well, I guess I had to accept the best deal they give me. In in a non-capital context, it may not be unconstitutional, but it's certainly immoral. Uh, you know, charge someone with what you think they did. Don't overcharge. Uh, right. That's that that's that's coercive in the worst possible way. Yeah. So since the death penalty was reinstated in Pennsylvania, which was in 1978, there have been three executions. They were all in the 1990s. They were all of people who had mental health disabilities and gave up their legal appeals. Meanwhile, there have been 11 people who were exonerated after being sentenced to death. How does that happen? How do innocent people end up getting the death sentence? So Pennsylvania is unique in one really, really un Un, unfortunate way. We give no money for indigent defense. The state give, provides no money for indigent defense. So uh, uh, every county is fending for itself. And some counties believe that they should have a, a, a fairly resourced uh, um, criminal justice system. And other counties want to scrimp and save, you know, every penny they can. And so, you know, you end up with a, with a, a, a state of untrained, Un, uh, 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 unconsulted, uncounseled, under-resourced 
lawyers handling these cases. You're going to have that kind of injustice. Um, the, 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 the Rand study out of Philadelphia showed, uh, I'll just skim over it, but the Rand study showed that, that well-trained, resourced lawyers in the Philadelphia Public Defender's Office were delivering far better results for their clients than under-resourced, court-appointed uh, uh, lawyers were. And that that's just, you know, fundamentally unfair. And it's easily resolved. Uh, um, Go Governor Shapiro asked for $10 million for indigent defense in his budget, and it made news. Well, $10 million is a drop in the bucket, right? Yeah. And that made news. So yeah. imagine if, if he really wanted to fund indigent defense the way some states fund it. It would make big news. Uh, that's It's an easy fix that we refuse to take. Yeah, we compiled the total budgets of 66 counties, not including Philadelphia, since their system's a bit different. But uh, and the total of those 66 counties for their public defenders offices is about 126 million. So and that is not enough, um, as you've described. I mean, some of the we know we know of counties where they have they have vacancies in their PD offices and the salaries are so low that uh, lawyers don't want to go there to work. Um, and you compare 126 million to 10 million the governor has proposed you're right, right 10 million 10 million is merely a start <laughs> yes and and so you know when you look at the statistics you cited the three the three in the three voluntary executions not involuntary they volunteered they they gave up their appeals and then the the 11 exonerations both of those are a direct reflection of of uh, um ineffective lawyering the three execution, normally you'd think with a row as big as ours, there'd be many more executions, but the lawyering is so ineffective that almost all those cases have been reversed. So, you know, it's penny wise and pound foolish. We're, we're spending this, this money, we're getting no results for it. We are getting a certain amount of injustice though, a large amount, which is 11 exonerations. And that's frankly a tip of the iceberg. There are more to come. Yeah, and there another key data point here for people to understand is this: since 1978, more than 300 people sentenced to death in Pennsylvania have won their legal appeals with either their sentence or their conviction overturned. What are the patterns here? What are the most common errors in capital cases? Well, the I, I mean, I, we've already talked about one: uh, ineffective lawyering is certainly a big a big issue. And 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 look, I you know. You can blame the lawyers. I blame the state um, because the state has an obligation to properly uh, fund and, uh, you know, resource train uh, of these lawyers to do a better job. But there's there's other causes. There's regrettable other causes. There's a, a significant amount of prosecutorial misconduct. Uh, we see it over and over again just in Philadelphia for, you know, for years and years and years. There was a, pro a, 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 a kind of a. Uh, a, a way of thinking in the prosecutor's office that said, you know, do anything to win. And of course, that's not the prosecutor's, that's not the prosecutor's job. But so, so we see, you know, between bad defense lawyering and extensive prosecutorial misconduct, th those are certainly the two big causes. Well, and the impact, you've mentioned the public defenders and the lack of funding for public defenders. So obviously the people who are, who are most impacted here are going to be folks who don't have means, um, yes. folks who don't have, I mean, the number I always, I've always heard over the years since I've been involved in this issue that gets thrown around is that 90% uh, 
of people on death row in Pennsylvania could not afford a private attorney. Don't know if that number still sticks. I don't know if you have that that data. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it may not be ninety percent, but it's not far from ninety percent. That's for yeah. sure. And it's it, but it's not just public defenders, Andy. It's also you know we're paying court appointed lawyers a, an absurdly low amount of money to handle serious cases, yeah. and and so you know when you're paying a minimal amount of money, you're going to get a minimal amount of services a lot of times. We're and we're also not getting the best lawyers because the best lawyers are not going to work for, you know, 80, 90 dollars an hour. Yeah. And knowing income inequality issues and the impacts on race, as well as the fact that so many cases are from Philadelphia, there's a racial component here too, right? The the racial component is overt and, and, and maybe, you know, obvious to those of us who work in the system. First of all, when you, when you have a system that is dealing extensively with people of color, and then you don't properly fund the defense function, that in itself is is clearly racist, right? You're not, you know, can you, I mean, try to imagine a bunch of kids from the Philadelphia suburbs having lawyers that don't visit them, that don't file motions, that, 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 that don't uh, uh, ask for jury questionnaires, it, it, that's a horrible system. It wouldn't last five minutes because the suburbs would revolt with that kind of with those kinds of services. So our, our whole system is 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 racist in the way that it approaches justice. But then, of course, the death penalty kind of exacerbates that in a lot of ways. The race of the victim, uh, uh, you know, and so forth. So, you know, the one uh, the one string, the one thread that goes through almost every issue regarding the death penalty is racism. So this year, ACLUPA is going to be educating our members and supporters and anyone we can reach about the importance of the state Supreme Court. In November, we'll be electing a new justice to the court, and the court's impact on criminal law is going to be one of the areas that ACLUPA will be talking about Tell me about your own experience in front of that court. What role does the Pennsylvania Supreme Court play in both enforcing and limiting the death penalty? Yeah, so so the most important thing to think about when you're thinking about the death penalty in Pennsylvania is you got to take a good hard look at the United States Supreme Court, right? So, you know, there was a time, uh, it wasn't, I mean, it's come and gone, but there was a time when people looked at the United States Supreme Court as at least somewhat of a backstop, that if things were really outrageous, you could count on the United States Supreme Court to, to step in. Ah, I'm, you know, I've never been a big fan of the United States Supreme Court either, I have to admit, but it, it's, never been, it's never been as desperately awful as it is right now. Uh, um, you, you know, Trump said what he was going to do, and he did you know, there are, he put he put three judges on the Supreme Court that, you know, they wouldn't know injustice if it ran them over with a truck in the middle of the road. Mm -hmm. So uh, my point here is there are there are state constitutional issues and federal constitutional issues. And and the state oftentimes can prevail if the court wants it to. And so um, very, very important. Uh, and for any of the lawyers out there, I, I'm sure they all know this, to raise state constitutional issues. So, you know, in, in a time when our United States Supreme Court is really not 
stepping up to the plate for for just for purposes of justice. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court is just critically important. Um, my own experience with the with the Supreme Court, well, you know, win some, lose some, but <laughs> um, but 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 the 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 Pennsylvania Constitution right now is extremely important, uh, and there are important there are big cases coming up there soon involving the death penalty. Well, and maybe one of the most high profile situations in recent years was when Governor Wolf implemented his moratorium and then the DAs um, sued uh, to try to stop the moratorium. And the state Supreme Court, I think it was unanimous, if I remember correctly, uh, ruled in the governor's favor. Um, But then but so many, you know, cases go up and down there um, so often. And unless you live in the county where the case happens, you're probably never going to hear about it. Yeah, the the I, I mean. First of all, you know, Governor Wolf was was obviously very brave in what he did, but other governors have done it as well. Uh, uh, Colorado, Oregon. Now we've got uh, uh, Governor Shapiro. Let's just hold him off for a minute. Um, you know, the 56 cases I talked about, um, those are all discretionary, right? So, So in other words, you know, people may not know what's happening in their county. If you live in Washington County, which has less than 2% of the population in, in, in Pennsylvania, there are 14 capital cases in Washington County. So, so you know, and then there's other counties where they haven't seen a capital prosecution in decades uh, because they don't think it's necessary for their justice system. So Governor Wolf comes along. He, 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 he brings about a moratorium and he says, Look, we've got a lot of problems. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna execute anyone until so, until these problems are addressed. Of course, our legislature doesn't address any of them. Um, in in the by the bipartisan study that came out, they laid out a whole bunch of problems. Our legislature didn't touch any of them. Yeah. Now Governor Shapiro comes along, and and I think logically says one, no one's done anything to improve this system. But two, his own thinking in his own words has evolved. And uh, and and so, you know, one of the things that I think is that I've always thought is that if the public knew the facts, they wouldn't support the death penalty. Yeah, it's just getting the facts out there. That's that's the heart. That's people have to hear it. Um, So Governor Shapiro, when he says I evolved. That makes perfect sense to me because I think he learned the facts a little bit. He 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 familiarized himself with the with the issues, um, moral and legal. So I give him a world of credit. Well, and I feel like the from some of the research we've been doing recently on some other issues, it does feel like the messaging about the problems of the criminal legal system writ large um, is is getting through. Um, People are recognizing the flaws, and and to me, the death penalty just comes with all. It's it, in a lot of ways, it is unique because of the way the capital system works. But many of the same problems that exist elsewhere in the criminal legal system exist with the death penalty, and you know, it's a it's a slow process, but um, hopefully, we get there politically. Well, I know, I know, you're more. I always think of you as more of a legal mind, but if you have thoughts on the politics of it, I'd be curious to hear that too. Well, well, let me just say this: that that you know. I don't know if this this is kind of the, the, between politics and legal, maybe, but I think 
that the innocence revolution, the DNA revolution, has taken us very, very far along, along uh, uh, helping people understand the frailties of the system. But I fear that we focus, and I, this is not going to win me any friends in the innocence community, but I fear that our focus on just innocence oftentimes misses the boat. Uh, having someone on trial for their life, if their lawyer is sleeping through trial or drunk or high or, or frankly, without the necessary tools to properly represent that, that's an injustice. Right. Um, we can't just look at, at, at innocence here. Um, you know, there, there, there is a certain fundamental unfairness to the death penalty, especially the way we're handling it these days. And so I don't want innocence to take us away from these other what I like, like literally think are fundamental injustices from a political point of view. I, I, I guess I mentioned earlier how I had done this public affairs presentation. One of the senators said that he wanted to leverage pleas with the death penalty. The other one said he wanted a mandatory death penalty for police killings. Now, a mandatory death penalty is unconstitutional. Also, the yeah. law is crystal clear on this. Um, so politically, I think our politicians are behind the public. In yeah. other words, you know, for decades, you, you could get somewhere uh, uh, being quote unquote tough on crime about the death penalty. Those days are gone. Uh, yeah. but, 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 but we still got a certain percentage of politicians thinking that they can still make hay with the death penalty. And maybe in some jurisdictions they can, certainly not Philadelphia. Larry Krasner was was clear about his perspective on the death penalty. He used a phrase I loved. He said supporting the death penalty was like was 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 akin to lighting money on fire. Uh just just throwing it away. And uh uh certainly Pennsylvania has shown that over the last over the last 50 years with with what we've gotten for the money we've spent. Um so, so politically, my my own perspective is some of these politicians don't know the facts, um, and they still think that this is a winning issue for them. When that time has, that ship has sailed, oh, yeah. I, I don't I don't think it's a winning issue anymore. I completely agree. I mean, I think you look at some of the electoral outcomes, and we're talking probably at least nine years worth of outcomes here. It, in 2014, Tom Wolf filled out a candidate questionnaire where he said. He would support a moratorium on executions. And Tom Corbett never said a word about it. I don't I, I think if Scott Wagner mentioned it in 2018, he barely mentioned it. Um, it never came up in the Shapiro race this past year. Um, and of you know, course, and, Governor Wolf, after imposing the moratorium, won easily again. Right, right. Exactly. Uh -huh. And then uh -huh. this isn't death penalty specific, but it is related. Um, the Fetterman Oz race where John Fetterman is sitting as the chair of the pardons board, openly advocating to get people out who have life sentences. Oz hits him with everything he has and Fetterman still wins. Yeah. Um, I just feel I, I, I 100% agree with you that the politicians are behind the times. Yeah. And, and you know, it's painful. Uh, I mean, Fetterman was so right about there, we have now we're off the death penalty subject a little bit, but there are so many people in prison who just don't need to be there anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, they've been punished significantly 
and they've outgrown their behavior, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's time to, it's time to take a careful look at a lot of folks. The the one thing that the juvenile resentencings taught us, all the juveniles that were sentenced to life and then got resentenced, the one thing we learned, well, the one thing the public learned, people in the business knew this for all the you know years, they didn't need to be in custody anymore. They just, you know, that recidivism rate is very, very low for those folks. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so you have written a book, A Descending Spiral, Exposing the Death Penalty in 12 Essays. Um, I've read some of it. I've read some of these essays. Some of them I read when they were originally published uh, in various places. Um, that was published. The book was published tw uh, two years ago. Um, tell me a little bit about the book. Any particular stories that stand out? Anything you that, that you came away with you want readers to come away with from it? So I, I, I started I started writing these essays thinking that I would write like an essay per issue, like an essay about prosecutorial misconduct, an essay about about uh, a, a, a racist judge, an essay about the bad defense lawyering, uh, and so forth. And and so I, I there are twelve essays in the book. If there's one takeaway, and I, I write this in the afterward, it's please don't think that I cherry pick these essays. Um, that was my one, like, I didn't write about OJ Simpson. I didn't write about Scott Peterson. I, I didn't write about the, you know, the, 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 the stories that kind of, for what one reason or another, the press, you know, gloms onto, I, I so I, the important thing for me is for the public to recognize that these stories are typical that they, they, they don't, they don't stand out from the crowd. You know, you write a story about bad lawyering. There are 50 other stories that I could have picked about bad lawyering. You write a story mm -hmm. about a prosecutor hiding evidence, 50 stories I could have picked for that, for that topic. So it's, it's, it's the tip of the iceberg. That's the, uh, that, that's the, the metaphor I use and I'll stand by it. All right, book. Well, where can folks go to learn more about the Atlantic center? Well, the best place to go is uh, our website, which somehow we got this name. I don't know how we got it, but it's atlanticcenter.org. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's a, probably a decent number of Atlantic centers out there, but we have the website, uh, atlanticcenter.org. And that, 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 you know, we are a small nonprofit. Um, we depend on, 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 on donations uh, to do our work. All the money goes to services uh, so would love to people to, to take a look at, at atlanticcenter.org. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, Book. Really appreciate, uh, appreciate your time and appreciate your insights. Andy, really, thank you for having me. That's Mark Bookman, Executive Director of the Atlantic Center for Capital Representation. Find the Atlantic Center online at atlanticcenter.org and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you enjoy the conversations that you hear on Speaking Freely and believe in the work of the ACLU, you should be a member. Join us by visiting aclupa.org join. That brings episode 82 to a close. The editor of Speaking Freely is Natalie Montero. Our opening theme is by Moody Finn, and our closing theme is by Elliot. Both are courtesy of bensound.com. The acting executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Claire Landau. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, freedom.